You know, one of the most common mistakes that sports teams make is not playing the, the type of game and running the game plan that they're designed to run. You, you see this like with an NFL team, they're designed to run the ball, but yet they end up passing it 40 times in a game. Or maybe it's an NBA team that they're supposed to be running a half-court type of offense, but yet they get caught up in a back-and-forth, run-and-gun, fast-break type of game. And most of the time, these teams, when they don't play their own game plan, end up losing. And later, the coach is there in the locker room, and he's being interviewed, and they say, Coach, what happened? And the coach always says the same thing. We allowed the other team to, to dictate the style of play. We, we didn't play the way that we were designed to play. And the reason I bring this up is we oftentimes do the same thing in life. And so today as we wrap up our series called Game Day, I, I want to talk to you about how to make sure you're playing your own game. Now in case you haven't been with us for the past, uh, what have we done, six weeks of this particular series, this is week six, you know, we started out just saying that everybody has to have a game plan and the, the benefits of having a game plan and how to develop your own game plan. And then the last couple of weeks what I've done is I've actually talked to you about some of the tips that you can use to, to follow the game plan that God has given you. And then last week I talked to you about one of the sort of challenges that you'll have in carrying out the game plan that you're supposed to be running. Today I want to give you one final challenge, and again, that challenge is simply not doing what it is God has designed you to do, that you're trying to run somebody else's game plan instead of playing your own game. Now, oftentimes what we'll do in life is we'll look around at people and we'll go, why do they have that? Or why can't I be more like that? And that's what keeps us from from being who it is that God wants us to be. Now, the, the words we most often use for this is envy and jealousy, but the biblical word for it is the word covet. That we're not supposed to covet. In fact, God says that this is so dangerous that it made his top 10 list. You know, there, there's 613 commands in the Old Testament. God says, you know, here's the big 10. Not the football conference, but, you know, the, this is the, the, the 10 commandments that every other law comes from these 10. If you can get these 10 right, then life will be all right. So coveting makes it. In fact, it's the 10th commandment. If you're following along there on your outline today or on the screens, look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. God says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Again, oftentimes we're going, why can't I be like that? Why can't I have what they have. Why is God blessing them and not blessing me? That's envy. That's jealousy. That's resentment. And that leads to other types of sin then in our life. Things like lying and cheating and stealing, maybe even all the way to, to murder or gossiping about people. Envy is a very slippery, slippery slope. And you know, our culture makes it worse. Our culture wants us to be envious. Our culture wants us to be jealous of what others have. In fact, if you ever thought about it, that's what advertising is all about. Advertising is simply getting you to be dissatisfied with the life that you have. It's saying, look, if you buy our product, you'll be smarter. If you get our product, you'll be sexier. If you get our product, your life is going to be so much better. You can be cool. Nike's, one of their, their most famous advertising campaigns, went like this. Let's see if you remember this one. Like Mike, if I could be like Mike, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Who was that talking about? 
Michael Jordan. They're saying, look, if you buy our product, if you buy Nikes, you'll be just like Mike. No, you won't. (laughs) But that's what every advertisement is trying to get you to do, is think that you can be just like this person. You just got to buy our product. You'll be like them. Again, that's a very dangerous place to be. You don't want to be like somebody else. You need to be the very best you that God has created for you to be. We can't be an imitation of someone else. And so we have got to treat envy like a cancer. If not, you're going to end up living somebody else's game plan for your life instead of living out God's game plan for your life. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you four different ways that you can get envy and jealousy and, and all this coveting out of your life. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. I must resist comparing myself to others. You got to resist comparing yourself to others. Comparison is, is dangerous because it leads to, to jealousy or, or pride. Jealousy makes you want to, to sort of be like someone else. And pride makes you think that you're better than someone else. Now, I'll give you sort of a humorous one, regardless of what you think of him politically. You know, with Donald Trump, you got to admit, dude has a full head of hair, right? Now, there's been debate whether it's real or not, but, you know, it's a full head of hair. And so for somebody like me, right, I, I can get jealous of that. You go, man, I wish I had a full head of hair like that. But then I look at the same man and I go, he's on his third marriage. I'm only on my first. And I don't plan on a second one. I mean, 22 years, you know, things are going well. So that could lead me to be, to be proud and boastful that, oh, well, look at me. Look how much better I am than this guy. And see, there it is that even with just one person, there, there's pride on one hand and then there's jealousy on the other hand. Now, again, when you're, you're talking about, you know, famous people or whatever, that, that can be sort of humorous, but... Subtly, we do the same thing in our life all the time. We're constantly looking at other people and comparing ourselves to them. Am I better than they are? Am I worse off than what they are? Do I have the skills that they have? Do I not have the skills that they have? Am I as smart as they are? Am I not as smart as what they are? That either leads to to pride or jealousy. And you know, with the rise of social media, it's made it even worse. Because every day we're on social media and we're, we're seeing people's lives and we're comparing our lives to their lives. And I've said this to you before. On social media, what you're doing is you're comparing their highlight reel because that's the only thing people post, right? Is the good things that are going on. They, they post their highlight reel on there and you're comparing it to your everyday walking around ho-hum life. And you're going, wow, look at all the travel that they're doing. And the only travel that I seem to do is picking my kids up at various activities. Or you see them experiencing something really, really cool in your home doing your chores. You're like, why, why can't I have a life like that? And, and we're all prone to, to doing this and getting caught up in it. Let me give you an example from my social media of just things that I've seen over the last month uh, for me. How many of you ever heard the name Tim Tebow? You, know, you heard Tim Tebow, you know who he is? Very famous college football player, won the Heisman Trophy for the Florida Gators, and then went on in the NFL, and very strong Christian guy. And uh, he's not in the NFL anymore. This year, he's actually playing minor league baseball. And 
one of the, the teams that he had to play was the Hagerstown Suns. Now, Hagerstown's the area that I grew up in and, and, and lived for many years. And so when he was there for the Suns and he was down there playing against the Suns, he went to the local Gold's Gym. Well, at the local Gold's Gym, he met a girl there that was part of the first church that I pastored at. Her name's Sarah. And apparently they hit it off. And they exchanged phone numbers. Because, take a look at this picture that came up on my feed. There they are. This is her down in Florida with him. He paid uh, for her to fly down to be a part of his 30th birthday. So my friend Sarah that I used to be the pastor of, she's dating Tim Tebow. And I'm jealous of that. (laughs) I mean, not that I want to date Tim Tebow, although he is a very good looking guy, I must admit. (laughs) Ladies, let me hear an amen. (laughs) And she's attractive as well, you know, but, uh, you know, but, but it's not that, that it's, I want to hang out with Tim Tebow. <laughs> why can't I hang out with him? Why does he fly me? Well, I, okay, I know why he didn't fly me down, but, <laughs> you know, come on. So, I have no idea what Bob said, but I'm going to ignore it. <laughs> Here's another one. Take a look at this. This is another girl, actually same church. Her name's Zoya. This is Zoya in Greenland, just like last week, sitting on an iceberg. Now, with her, it was difficult because I had to figure out which picture am I going to post of her because this was from Greenland. The week before that, she was in Alaska. A couple weeks before that, she was in Guatemala. Right before that, she was in the Philippines. And right before that, she was in Paris. That's just over like the last couple weeks. I like to travel. (laughs) And I'm like... Why can't I travel all over the place like that in such a short amount of time? Why does she get to do that? And I, I don't get to do cool things like that. Or, you know, I have a, another friend. I went to high school with him, and he became very successful in business, and, and uh, he lives in Europe now, and he just posted a picture of his car. Take a look at this thing. Yeah, Ferrari. I don't even like cars. <laughs> oh, it's a Porsche? See? <laughs> just goes to show you I don't I don't know anything about cars okay Ferrari Porsche you know all the same you know but it's still a pretty cool car right I'm like I don't even like cars but why can't I have a cool car you know sort of like that the, the, the point is again as we look at social media we see all the highlight reels of of other people and we forget that they still get sick their family members still get sick and pass away their appliances still break down. Life isn't just always a, a bed of roses for them. And so we, we look at this, this social media and stuff, or we look at other people's lives, and we're going, I wish I had that. I, I wish I, I could be like them. And all of a sudden, you're trying to live somebody else's game plan for your life instead of living your own game plan of what God has for you. So we got to stop comparing ourselves to other people. In James chapter 3, verse 16, James is talking about this and why it's dangerous to have this jealousy and envy creeping into our lives. And he says, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. And you know, it's not just material things that get us into trouble. 
It's, again, looking at other people's gifts and skills and talents and abilities and saying, why can't I be more like them? You know, there's a, a joke in sort of the church world that every pastor wants to be a worship leader, and every worship leader wants to be a pastor. It's sort of like how you see, like, Hollywood actors and actresses, they all want to go out and record an album, and all the people that are, you know, recording albums and they're singers and stuff, they all want to be in the movies. We all have this thing called gift envy that we say, why can't I be more like them? Instead of celebrating the gifts that God has given you, you go, why can't I be talented like them? Why can't I sing like them? Why can't I be smart like them? Why can't I be this, you know, outgoing instead of being an introvert or, or whatever it is? But again, that's not how God wired you up. So stop comparing yourself to others. Which leads to the second point. Not only must you resist comparing yourself to others, number two, I must recognize my uniqueness. You've really got to get to the place where you're comfortable with the way that God has created you to be and who God has created you to be and the unique game plan that he has for your life. You have got to be the best you possible. You know, there's a, a great story in Scripture that helps to illustrate this. We talked a lot about David and Saul last week, but uh, part of the, the story of, of, of David and, and Goliath was, you know, Goliath, he was tormenting the Israelites. And so this little boy, David, he, he goes and he says to King Saul, he's like, you know what, I can kill this guy. And Saul just looks at him, he's like, you're just a boy. You're not going to be able to do this. What do you know about killing a giant man like this? David's like, I, I tell you what I know. I, I've been tending the sheep. And I've killed lions. And, and, and I've killed bears. Surely they can't be, you know, or surely they're easier to defeat than, than this man, Goliath. Saul says, all right. You want to crack at him? Take a crack at him. And then we read this in 1 Samuel 17, verse 38 to 39. It says, Then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put his bronze helmet on his head, and he belted his sword on him over the armor. David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And so he took it all off. You see, David knew that Wearing this armor, it wasn't playing to his strengths. It wasn't running the game plan of who God made him to be. It didn't have anything to do with his past experience of killing the bears and killing the lions. He's like, I don't know anything about armor. I never had armor on when I did this. So David goes down to the stream and he gathers up five smooth stones and he gets a slingshot and he goes out and with the very first shot, he kills Goliath. In other words, David was acting in his strengths. He was using the abilities that God had given him. He used the experiences that he had in the past to help him defeat the giant in the present. We've got to do the same thing. Don't try to be who other people want you to be. Don't be who the world tells you you need to be. Be who God has created you to be. In fact, what you need to do is discover what my former boss Rick Warren called your shape. Look at this here. Shape is just a, an acrostic. Stands for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. All of you have been given by God at the moment of your salvation a spiritual gift, at least one. And all of us have at least one. None of us have half. Why we, we do need. But you have a spiritual gift. You need to discover what that is and utilize it. 
All of you were born with natural God-given abilities and, and, and talents and stuff. That's the A. The, the H was for heart. That's your passions that you have. P is your personality. Are you a morning person? Are you a night owl? Or are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? You know, there, there's all kinds of things that are uniquely are you, part of your personality. And then the E stands for experiences. What have you done in the past that others haven't been able to do that now that you've done that, it's going to help you in the future? Like David, he had killed the bear. He had killed the lion. And so he was able to use those experiences to help him. And so there's nobody else exactly like you. Nobody else has exactly your spiritual gifts and your heart and your abilities and your personality and your experiences when you cumulatively bring them all together. And so you, you just need to, to sit and, and, and write these things down, you know, and discover, okay, what's the spiritual gifts that I have? What, what am I passionate about? What are my natural abilities? I've just sort of always had these things. How's God wired me up personality-wise, and what are my experiences? And that'll help you to discover what God has for you to do here on the earth, of what you uniquely have as a game plan that you need to fulfill. Number three, then. I must rejoice in what I have. The biblical word for this would be contentment. And you know, contentment is something that you need to learn. It's not something that comes natural. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 says this, I'm not complaining about having too little. I have learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. You know, Paul is basically saying here that contentment is not getting everything you want. It's learning to enjoy what you already have. You know, I shared with you that when our team went down to Haiti this past March, that we were able to, to sponsor a, a church down there. It's our sister church. It's called the Allaire Church. A-L-L-A-I-R-E, Allaire. Take a look at the, the church building here. You feel fortunate for what we got? This is what they, they meet in every single week. And, you know, as you're down in Haiti, and I've shared this with you before, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. There are things that you see down there that you're like, how can people live in this extreme poverty? And even something that they try to fix up and make nice, you still see what it looks like. But yet the word alaire in Creole means cheerful. And sure enough, what we experienced in that church service was the most joy, the, the most worshipful environment that you could possibly ever imagine. They were truly cheerful. Even in the midst of having so little materially and financially, they realized that that's not what it's about. That we can be happy, we can be joyful because we have a relationship with Jesus, we have our family, and we have each other. And that's really all we need. That's learning how to be content. You know, as American Christians, we, we need to learn the, the same thing. That we, we've got to be content. But yet we're always striving for more, aren't we? We've got to get to the place where we say, you know what? I have everything that I need, so therefore I have everything that I want. And you know, as, as we're continuing to, to be blessed as American Christians, there, there's two ways that we can learn contentment. One is to give more away. 
Because the more you give away, the more you'll actually discover you're contented with what you have left over. The, the other thing is just to simply learn to be happy with less, to not continue to strive after more and more and more and more, to stay sort of in the place that you're at. Ne neither one is right or wrong, but you've got to be somehow getting to that place where you're contented. And one of the greatest ways that you can learn how to, to become more content is by putting yourself in situations that you realize how blessed you are. And so that's why we always encourage you, go into downtown Harrisburg, serve the poor, serve the homeless, get to see what it's like, even in our own community, for people that have so much less than what you do. And you know, it's not too late to, to join us down at the Alaire Church this March, March of 2018, we're going again. And again, it's not too late. Sign up on your connection card. Stop out at the information center. We'd love to have you be able to go along on this trip. Because it, it'll change you. It, it'll, you know, Bruce and I, where's Bruce at? Bruce, oh, there he is back in the back. He and I were uh, meeting together this uh, past week, and we were just sort of reminiscing about it a little bit. And he said, you know, it was a whole month, you know, that he came back. And he was like, man, this has still messed me up. But yet it's changed him. I know for Seth and Bree, it's been the, the same thing that you know you can't see that and and come back and, and be the same any longer. It'll teach you. It'll teach you how to become more content. Number four, then. I must rejoice or uh, refocus on pleasing God. Got to refocus on pleasing God. As most of you know, I have an uh, outreach ministry that I do to professional poker players. And this past week, I got contacted by a player from Great Britain, and he was suicidal. And as I was talking to him, it just, you know, really broke my heart because here, here's a, he was a great guy, and Jesus loves him desperately. But yet what this guy was really wrestling with, the, the depression that he had, was just trying to please others, especially his parents. He's like, I just can't make anybody happy. And he's like, so I'll just end my life. And so we, we talked and we prayed, and hopefully he's on the, on the right track now. But if you think about it, the, the, the big mistake there was trying to please others. And one of the things that I shared with them is, look, you need to live your life for an audience of one. That one is Jesus. And that's a good reminder to all of us that we need to live our lives for an audience of one. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. The only person that really matters is, what does God think about you? And so if we're going to get envy and jealousy and, and this discontentment and resentment and, and not being, you know, coveting things, we've got to refocus on pleasing God. Am I trying to follow his game plan for my life or am I just letting the world dictate what my game plan should look like? Am I allowing my spouse and my kids and my neighbors and even my pastor to dictate my game plan? See, I can't tell you what to do. I can give you encouragement and what to do, try to get you on the right path, but eventually you have got to discover your own game plan. What does it look like for your life? 
Don't be afraid to, to stand alone. Don't be a, afraid to, to just focus solely on God's agenda for your life. Because if you do, you're going to end up doing what we talked about at the beginning of the series, that you'll just end up surviving. That's not what God wants you to do here on the earth. He doesn't want you to survive. We talked about that, you know, so many people are chasing after success. Well, that's not what it's about either. Because so many people become successful in things that really just simply don't matter. And so we're called to a life of significance. And so you need to refocus on God and say, God, how can I be significant in this life? Not for my glory, God, but, but for your glory. How can we make sure that my life has truly made a difference? I'll tell you one thing that's helped me. It's actually my life first. Some of you are familiar with it because I talk about it a lot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, so fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is only temporary. What's unseen is eternal. As I shared with you a couple weeks ago, that, that verse changed my life. It changed the projection of my vocation even from being self-employed to becoming a pastor. Because what's it say there? It says that everything that you focus on that's here on the earth, it's just what? What's it say? It's temporary. Scripture makes it very, very clear that everything here on this earth will one day either be destroyed, it's going to be you know, stolen, it's going to break down, it's going to wear out, and then at the end of time, everything here on the earth is going to be laid to dust. Everything. And, you know, as sad as what it is to think about things like 9-11 or some of the, the destruction of, you know, the, the hurricanes and stuff that just brought, you know, when the towers came down, everything in it was just turned to basically dust. As you look at some of the pictures of, of people on, you know, Facebook, of they're going back to their homes in Florida or down in Texas or what we're seeing down in Puerto Rico, that whole homes that used to be structures and there was all this stuff, it's just nothing. It's just gone. Well, guess what? That's where... The only thing that will be left is the things that we've done for Christ. The things that were truly, eternally significant. So why do we get so caught up with Buildings and houses and cars and, and just stuff. It's not going to last. It's all going to be gone. So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what's unseen. For what is seen is only temporary. What's unseen is eternal. Now I know some of you came in today and you're like, you know, Gilbert, this has been a good series, but, you know, I'm in my 30s now, or I'm in my, 50s, in my 70s now, and I haven't, I haven't been pleasing God up to this point in my life late for me. But I want to say to you, no, it's not. My University of Maryland Terrapins yesterday uh, pulled out their third win of the season, so I was happy about that, but, you know, I was reminded of when I was a kid, 1984. They were playing the defending national champion, Miami Hurricanes. In Miami, 
Maryland was expected to get crushed, and at halftime, it was 31-0. They surely were. They were getting just rocked. But they went in at halftime, and they made some halftime adjustments. They said, we're allowing the other team to dictate the style of play. We have got to play our own style. We have got to play our own game. And Maryland came out of the locker room, and they came back, and they won the game. Down 31-0, it was the greatest comeback in college football history until just recently. And so it's never too late. All of us can make adjustments to our game plan and say, all right, it hasn't been working up to this point, but now things are going to be different. Now things are going to be different. I'm going to become who God wants me to be, and I'm going to live the unique game plan that he has for me. And I'm going to make an eternal difference. It's not about just surviving. It's not about being su successful. It's about living a life of significance. I hope you do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this past six weeks as we've gone through this game day series. And Father, I, I just pray that your spirit has been speaking to us over these weeks, and You've been changing us from the inside out, helping us to have a holy discontentment, to realize that, wait, there, there's more to life than just trying to get by. There's more to life than just trying to be successful and get raises and bonuses and promotions and cars and houses and stuff. There's got to be more than that. And so, Lord, I pray that during the course of this series, we've seen the significance of being significant. Again, not for our own glory, Jesus, but significant in a way that we've brought glory and honor to you. That we've left a, a legacy with our lives that will outlast us, that decades and, and generations and you know, even maybe centuries to come, if Jesus shouldn't return before them, that people will be able to look back on our life and say, because they lived, this world is a better place. Because they lived, my life here is better now because of the difference that they made. Lord, help us to realize that each and every one of us can be difference makers. That we can bring your kingdom to the earth. And Father, that's going to take us refocusing on you. Stepping back, being contented with the, the lives that you've given us, the gifts that you've given us, the abilities that you've given us. Saying, God, you have placed me here at such a time as this to do something unique on the earth. So help me to fulfill it. Lord, thank you that you look at each and every one of us as somebody special and somebody that can make a difference. Help us to discover what that is and then to live it out. Give us the next step that we need to take as a result of today's message and as a result of this series. And then just help us to take the next step after that and the next one after that until the moment of our death, you're able to look us in the eyes and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, that's what we all long to hear. Help us to live that out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.